Hey, before we get going, this show is built on a model of advertising and listener support. We need your support. Drop our website, adventureriderradio.com, and click on support. Getting your motorcycle, your adventure motorcycle, over a log can be a, a daunting exercise, but learning how to do it can open up a whole new world for you. It's not only the satisfaction of being able to keep going where many will either have to turn around or, or maybe heave and grunt and wrestle that big bike up and over the log, sometimes getting hung up with their rear wheel spinning against the log. That's a common scenario. It's not just avoiding that scenario. It's like all the other skills we learn to master when it comes to riding motorcycles. They apply to many other situations that we ride in. Each new skill you learn makes you a more confident and capable rider in everyday riding. So today on our exclusive rider skills program, we have Chris Birch, world famous for what he does with adventure bikes, to teach us how to get our heavy adventure motorcycles over a log and do it looking like a pro. And it's all going to be broken down into three easy steps I'm Jim Martin. This is Adventure Rider Radio. Stay with us. We got a good one for you. I'm Sam Manikin. Ted Simon. Austin Vance. Simon Payne. Bill Bragoo. Helga Pettis. Jocelyn Snow. Charlie Borman. Simon Thomas. Lisa Thomas. Grant Johnson. John Thomas. I'm Marissa Notier, and you're listening to Adventure Rider Radio. It's wind pressure that powers the MotoBreeze chain oiler. No electrical or vacuum connections. It delivers the oil to a felt pad on your swing arm. No nozzles near your sprockets. One ounce of oil gets 1,000 miles or 1,600 kilometers. Get more miles from your chain and sprockets. MotoBreeze.com. And Green Chili Adventure Gear offers American-made heavy-duty luggage systems for all types of motorcycles. You can turn any dry bag into luggage using their strapping system. And, of course, Green Chili Adventure Gear is tested in extreme weather and terrain to withstand the abuse that adventure riding gives it. Tough, reliable gear. GreenChiliADV.com. Best Rest Product is the maker of the Cycle Pump, the best tire inflator for motorcyclists. It'll inflate your flat tire in less than three minutes. Made in the USA. Comes with a lifetime warranty. They also distribute Google Tech filters. CyclePump.com. Rider Skills is an exclusive program we developed here at Adventure Rider Radio designed to give you the tools that can improve your riding skills both on and off-road. Now, of course, these segments are not meant to be a substitute for professional training. These are ideas and concepts that should you choose to try, you're doing so at your own risk. One of the first things you're going to hear us talk about is lofting the front wheel, a wheelie of sorts. Now, I know many riders hold fast to the misconception that, well, some riders just can't do a wheelie. Chris Birch says that he can teach just about any rider to do it in about a day. And he's going to talk us through that here today. One of the uh, wonderful things about uh, talking it through here on a rider skills program is that we, we explore these concepts and we talk about why we're doing each maneuver. And I ask questions and, and try and go through and thoroughly explain each step. So we get the concepts in our mind. Then all you have to do is head out there and practice what you've learned. And, and by the way, Chris Birch grew up riding motorcycles. He's been on the on the podium seven times at Red Bull Romaniacs. He's won the Roof of Africa three times. He's run the Dakar and, and came in second place in the rookie class, not to mention a whole bunch of the biggest enduro races in the world. Chris has taught thousands of riders since uh, 2007, and he's been partnered with KTM since then as well, which says a lot about Chris's quality. Here he is. <laughs> Yeah, for sure. Chris, welcome back. Thanks. It's great to be back here. You're getting ready to head off somewhere tomorrow, aren't you? Like we're, we're talking right on the, the 11th hour sort of thing before you get on your bike and ride. Yeah, I kind of feel like I'm always getting ready to go somewhere. But yeah, the, <laughs> the urgency is a bit more this time. Yeah, we're heading off for a, a six-day motorbike trip starting to, first thing tomorrow morning. And I've not packed in any way or anything yet, so... Let's so, get this done so I can so, get on with it. So as soon as we're finished, <laughs> then, then you're packing, throwing all your gear together, and, and you're heading off. Yeah, I'll have to go through some old episodes. I'm sure you've done a What to Pack for Adventure Bike podcast, so I better catch up. <laughs> yeah, yeah, right. <laughs> well, with, with all this riding you're doing, when it comes to log crossing, you must have crossed just about every type of log that there is. I would say so. You know, my background is as a as a trials rider. I started off riding trials, so a lot of obstacle crossing, a log crossing in there, and then moved into enduros and, and hard enduros. 
And now with the adventure riding, there's a, a lot of forestry uh, riding around my area. So we're always dealing with fallen logs and obstacles and, and also seeking it out to practice it because it's good fun. Well, let's begin with this challenge. What is it about crossing logs with a motorcycle that's challenging? And what additional challenges maybe does the adventure motorcycle bring to the experience? Yeah, for a lot of guys, uh, you know, a, a fallen tree, a decent sized log, it, it is quite a big obstacle. Um, there's a lot of physics involved. There's a lot of potential bashy, crashy involved. Um, getting stuck, beached on top of it, that's not much fun on a big bike. And the big adventure bikes, they definitely do make it more challenging. You know, it, it's a big bike to kind of create that lift. Um, and if you get the technique wrong, the, the ramifications of it can be a lot greater on the big bike. When things go wrong, it's a lot harder to save it. And, you know, creating the lift, creating the traction on adventure bikes is significantly more challenging than it is on a, on a small dirt bike or definitely more challenging than it is on a trials bike. But uh, a lot of the techniques cross over and there's some real sort of core fundamentals you need to, to make it a successful crossing. It doesn't have to actually be a big log, does it? Any any size log creates a bit of an obstacle. Yeah, especially if it's a bit greasy and slippery and not quite at a straight-on angle. Uh, anyone that's uh, encountered those will know you don't need a particularly big log. A stick will do the job just fine. Exactly, a greasy stick there. And if it's not straight across the pathway, in other words, you're not hitting it perpendicular at a 90-degree angle, then it becomes complicated. It's a different game for sure. How can we prepare our motorcycle for log crossings? Uh, that's a tricky one um, because you wouldn't really want to set your motorcycle up specifically for a log crossing. I mean, on a, on a big adventure ride, what are you going to cross? Maybe 10 logs and you're going to do 30,000 corners. Mm -hmm. So uh, I wouldn't specifically be setting my bike up too much for obstacle crossing. Um, definitely when you're trying to figure the figure things out and learn the techniques, you want to make sure your bike is as light as possible. So you're getting rid of your panniers, um, ditching your tank bag, you know, making life as easy as it possibly can be for you. And you definitely want to have some decent engine protection so that when it goes wrong and you end up sumping out on the obstacle, you're not crushing your exhaust or doing any, uh, any machine damage like that. Um, some good handguards could be a, a nice idea. Chances are you might be falling over and tipping over a few times, so you don't want to be tearing up your levers doing that. So, yeah, just a, I think a good, well-prepared adventure bike that's set up nice and light with not too many bags on it is, is a great starting point. So we don't have to do anything in particular for this. Like you're saying, that that's standard protection, you would say, that anybody should have on any adventure bike. If you're actually, you know, it, it, it always it depends on your definition of adventure. Well, we're but, talking uh, about people who ride them. Yeah, for guys that actually do it properly and aren't afraid of a scratch, then yeah, handguards and a decent skid plate are mandatory, really. Now, you uh, you have a whole course set up on log crossing. How do you approach this? Yeah, so in our Say No to Slow uh, Adventure and Enduro series, we actually, uh, in the Enduro series, we have two complete, separate episodes set uh, specifically for crossing obstacles. And the first one, and what I'd like to talk us through first, is that the obstacle fundamentals. So in my mind, there's many, many different techniques that we can use for, uh, for crossing obstacles. So let's say logs, just to simplify it. You know, you've got your log roll, your single blip, your double blip, your splat, your wheelie slack, your stuff, your pivot, all these different techniques. But they all start and finish the same way. So a great way to approach this problem of learning to cross obstacles is to practice the key fundamentals. So the start of all the different techniques, the end of all the different techniques are the same. So we practice those individually and safely. So we have those tools ready to deploy. And then we start working out some of the different middles. So if you think of it like a story, we, we practice the first chapter, we practice the last chapter, and then we figure out the bits in the middle. Okay, I, I like this. So, so those fundamentals that you said, and, and I love that word because it really gets it through your head why you're learning it this way. The fundamentals that, you, that you're going to talk about right now, that has nothing to do then with the, the size of the log, the angle of the log, how high it is off the ground, that sort of thing. It has nothing to do with that then. No, it doesn't. So that's that's will influence which of the middle chapters you use. Okay. But the first chapter and the last chapter are always the same, whether it's a you know two inches or three feet. So okay, where do we start with the basics? 
So our core fundamentals uh, is the, the basic clutch pop wheelie. The first is our first one. So that's so wait a to second. Com- you're going to teach us how to do a wheelie. That's the first thing let, we have to learn. This sounds so stressful. You said basics. Finish. Okay. Let me okay. Finish. Okay. The reason we teach this, and you're right, doing a wee- basic wheelie is not basic. It's not that easy. But the journey you go on trying to learn that is really, really important. As we're trying to learn this, we're learning to compress our suspension, load up our tire, and create a burst of acceleration through the clutch. So even if you can't actually do the wheelie, just the journey you go on l- trying to learn how to do that is really, really beneficial to all sorts of riding, but definitely specifically for these obstacle sort of stuff. Because we're learning to use the clutch to create a burst of power, a burst of acceleration. And we're learning to use our body weight to compress the suspension to create lift and super important on adventure bikes to jam and compress the tire, load the tire down to the ground to create the traction. Because the worst case scenario, and I'm sure people have experienced this before, is you come up to the obstacle, you give it a big burst of power and the thing just wheel spins and you accelerate into the obstacle and go over the front. And go down. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So even if you can't do a wheelie, the process of being able to at least lighten the front and learn that clutch control, throttle control, timing, balance, and movement that that journey creates is hugely, hugely beneficial. So we're learning to unweight the front wheel. We're aiming for the stars. The stars is being able to loft that front wheel and do a decent wheelie. If we can't do that, we can still learn how to cross logs. Absolutely. Absolutely. Up to anything up to about the height of your front axle, you don't actually have to be able to do a wheeling. You still want to lift some weight off it though, right? Absolutely. Yeah, yeah. And that's the whole theory behind like learning to how to do the wheelie. Even if you can't get enough energy and timing to actually lift the front wheel off the ground, getting it light, getting it, getting that front end unloaded and getting the back end really loaded and creating that acceleration is key. So to, to take it back a step, uh, a real important thing to keep in your mind for excel, uh, sorry, for obstacle crossing is that we want acceleration, not speed, as we approach the obstacle. That's acceleration, not speed. So imagine if we hit this obstacle fast and we don't do anything, when we hit the log, the bike's going to rotate forwards, you're going to get kicked forward. So there's a forwards rotation effect coming in. Does that make sense? Imagine we're just riding on the trail, we don't do anything, and you just ride straight into a log. Sure. You're going to rotate forwards, the bike's going to rotate forwards. Worst case scenario, you're going to go over the handlebars forwards. Right. Yeah? Yep. So that's forwards rotation. When we accelerate, we get rearwards rotation. That's why perfect traction on the asphalt, you give your bike a big handful of gas, the front wheel comes up, the bike rotates up backwards. So the bigger the obstacle, the more forwards kick we're going to get from hitting it, so the more acceleration, rearwards rotation we need to keep the bike in balance. So that coming back to that wheelie, getting that acceleration and that lift of the front tires, a good burst of acceleration all through your clutch is really crucial in keeping the bike balanced and not getting rotated excessively forwards. So how do we learn to loft that front wheel? Right. So that key fundamental lofting the front wheel, we split that into two parts as well. So Chapter one is two chapters. Lovely. Um, There's two sides to it. There's what you need to do with your clutch and your engine, throttle and clutch. And there's what you need to do with your body movement. We practice each one of those individually. And then we hope to put them together with the correct timing to get a nice front wheel lift. So the first thing we want to do is learn to use our clutch to create a sharp, aggressive slap, a burst of power. A good way to describe it is we want a, a clap of power, a quick clap, not a big, long Because, again, we're trying to create maximum acceleration, not speed. So imagine if I try and do this just on the throttle, if I don't use my clutch, that acceleration is going to sound like As I build that speed, build that power, I'm accelerating, I'm accelerating. By the time I get to my log, I'm going really fast and I've got a big problem on board. Mm-hmm. Whereas I want to be able to go clap and just snap that bike up onto the back wheel or take the pressure out of the front tire at least in a really quick way that results in the minimum amount of acceleration. 
So again, coming back to that real core important thing, acceleration, not speed. So what we're doing, great way to practice this, starting off, sitting down, nice and on balance, cruising along in first gear, pull your clutch in, build up a bit of engine RPM, so and then feeding in the clutch and rolling on the throttle at the same time to create a burst of acceleration. And then straight away, once the clutch is completely engaged, the clutch comes straight back in again to control it. So your clutch comes all the way out, but only for about half a second, and then straight back in again to control it. So you're basically just trying to create a really short, sharp, momentary burst of acceleration through your clutch. Now, when you're saying that you're, you're sort of dumping the clutch, I guess you, you could say, um, you're saying increase the throttle as you're doing it or rev it up, dump the clutch, pull it back in. So I'm rolling the throttle in as I'm winding the clutch out. So the throttle is rolling on as the clutch is coming out. Once the clutch is out, clutch comes back in again, throttle rolls off. So it's rap, rap that we're trying to create. Does that okay. make any sense? No, no, that makes perfect sense. So you're trying cool. this just anywhere, just like, like in a field sort of thing. Yeah, yeah. So it looks like you're just trying to do skids. So a good way to describe it is imagine you're riding over a cow pat and you're trying to squirt the cow pat at your friend that's behind you. Right. And just trying to squirt that cow pat out. <laughs> imagine you're trying to spray your mate with cow pat. Yeah. yeah. Cool. So we do that sitting down because for a lot of guys, they've never really used their clutch in this way and it can be a bit scary to get used to. So sitting down, it gives you much more balance in a situation. You're not going to get left behind. Uh, you're more sort of connected to the bike at that point. Once that becomes boring, so no longer scary in any way, you want to practice that same thing but standing up. So up on your foot pegs in your correct standing position and getting used to that rap, that spike of power through the clutch, again, trying to spray the, the cow plop out the back. And the reason we're standing up is because you're going to tell us we have to stand when we do log crossings? Mate, if it's a decent-sized log, you do not want to be sitting down for it. You need that suspension in your legs, and also you need to be able to create that compression by loading down through your legs. There's lots of stuff you can do on an adventure bike sitting down, and I think a lot of, a lot of people get caught in this you-must-stand-up mentality. Well, that's, I, why, that's why I said it, yeah, because I know that you have this, that. Yeah, this is definitely one time where there's no arguing. You need to be up on the yeah. pegs. Okay, so what's the next step? And, and so is, the next, is that the full first one? No, no. So the next step is you're up on the pegs, practicing that brap, 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 until that's boring. But not a thing anymore. Totally over it. Yep, I have got this. I don't need to think about this. I'm thinking about what I'm going to have for lunch. Not that level of understanding. Cool? Mm-hmm. From there, we need to practice the body movement side of it. So that's learning to use your legs and your body weight to compress your suspension and load down into your tires. So a good way to think about it is basically we want to stomp onto our foot pegs. Imagine you're trying to dump down, stomp down into your foot pegs as hard as you possibly can. So normal standing position, we should have a bit of bend in our knees, bit of bend in our hips, slightly lower down into the bike. We're not standing up full uh, full bean pole, full, you know, meerkat position. So we're in that slightly more crouched position. We come up as tall as we can and then compress and dump down that weight into the foot pegs. Basically, imagine you're trying to bottom out your suspension using your foot pegs. The big thing here is we want to focus this all through the legs. When you can press down through your legs, you're loading down into your rear suspension, down into your back tire, and it puts you into a way more balanced position. It's nothing to do with your arms. It's all through your legs. Your legs are the engine for this compression. So you're not pushing down with your arms. You're not, you're not doing that ram down with your arms. This is all no. foot peg stuff. Yeah, it's all about the back end. And if you're compressing down through your foot pegs, your forks will compress a bit as well. If you focus on your, on your arms then you really won't get that compression to the rear, and that's where you're going to get that wheel spin, especially on the big adventure bikes. So we practice that, and again, we practice that until it's boring. Absolutely, yep, got this, no drama, it's not scary whatsoever. 
if it's a more advanced rider or a more advanced group, the next thing with that is actually learning how to do that compression one-handed. So big wide open area, cruising around in first gear and doing that compression without holding on with your left hand. And the reason for that is it gives you really, really strong feedback on whether or not you're on balance. So imagine this compression, this is the first move we make in, in crossing this log. It's so important that that movement keeps us on balance and doesn't create instability, doesn't put you off balance. Imagine if the, if the first thing we do puts us off balance and we've got a whole other sequence of events to, to get over this log, that unbalance is just going to escalate, 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 and it's going to turn really ugly. So the first thing we need to do has to be really, really balanced. So doing that one-handed is a great goal to have. Now, are we adding the clutch movement into this, or are we just practicing this on its own right now? Just practicing that on its own. So the theory is you practice the clutch side of it individually until that's boring. Mm -hmm. You practice the body movement side of it individually until that's boring. And then we talk about the timing. So th this is much easier to understand, I, I think, this way. And obviously, this is why you do it, Chris. You've broken it down into parts. Instead of trying to get somebody to do this all together, you break it down into parts. You learn those individual pieces, and then you put them together once they become sort of muscle memory. A absolutely. It's like learning a dance, right? Like you, you learn each step, and then you learn the flow of the steps, and then all of a sudden you're dancing. Mm -hmm. If you just go, yeah, do this, 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 and then this, <laughs> good luck. Yeah, it's a, it's a lot to, to handle right off the bat. Okay. Yeah. So where do we go from here? So from there, it's all about creating that timing of movement number one with that, that compression with the clutch of our brap of, of power, our slap of power. So starting with our standing position, as we come up to start to create that compression, our clutch comes in and we build up a little bit of revs. Then as we start to dump down into those foot pegs, as we low down into that stomp, the clutch is coming out with the goal being to have the clutch all the way out, full engagement, when your tire and your suspension is at maximum compression. So that gives you that power and you're forcing that power down into the ground, driving your tire into the ground to create the traction rather than creating wheel spin. Because the big goal with adventure bikes, sorry, the big issue with adventure bikes is, uh, is trying to create that traction. Uh, the most common issue we have with trying to teach guys to lift the front wheel or to de-weight the front wheel is just it all turns into wheel spin. The more you can wedge that tire into the ground, the more traction you're going to get generate and the more the front end is going to come up. So the timing here is really, really important. So it's, it's good to kind of think about the loading in your tire. So imagine if you're a bit too late on the power, if you let the clutch out a bit too late, you've already hit your maximum point of compression and the bike's starting to rebound, if you give it the clutch at that point, the tire's guaranteed to wheel spin. Your tire's getting progressively lighter, the bike's unloading, guaranteed wheel spin. Okay, yeah, you've passed your maximum point of traction there. Yeah, the horse is already bolted, basically. Mm -hmm. If you're a little bit too early on the clutch, a bit too early to the party on the clutch, you'll still hit that maximum point of compression with acceleration with power on, the tire will dig and grab and the front end's more likely to come up. So the perfect timing is that dumping of that power at that maximum compression point. That's when you'll get the best lift, the best response. If you can't do perfect, a little bit too early on the clutch is generally safer and more successful than a, a bit too late. So if you're struggling with this, struggling to find the timing that you're cons consistently getting wheel spin, you might actually have to try too early with the clutch. A lot of guys tend to really fully experiment with all the potential of too late. Sometimes you have to be a bit brave and go, okay, I'll try too early as well. So th this is about, um, when you say the, the compression and you're saying that's, that gives you the traction, is it also about compressing that front suspension and getting the rebound? It's for, it probably is, but all my focus, all my attention uh, is in the rear as into driving into that bike. But I'm still trying to compress nice and, and, and central on the bike. That's why uh, that one-handed thing comes into it. If you focus too much on the forks, that's where you bring in that potential for wheel spin. So if I was trying to do a, a wheel stand in a, in a 
tarmac, ash, what do you guys call it? Asphalt, asphalt car park. Yeah. yeah. I would compress more with my hands with my because I know I'm going to get traction. Yeah, sweet. Blue, look at me. I can do a wheelie. Doesn't translate to the trail on adventure bikes though. That just turns into wheel spin. Oh, that's interesting. So, so you're you're totally focused on traction for the rear wheel. You're not worried about that front end compressing. That's just a, if it happens or as it happens, rather that that's just a bonus to what you're doing. Yeah, yeah. And okay. a, a good way to describe this as well is you know, if you think you need to pull up on your handlebars, stand on your bike and pull up on the handlebars and see what happens. <laughs> like, and so many times. Really- but so many times, Chris, you hear this maneuver explained that way. You hear it as, I mean, I often hear, like, use the front brake, load up that front suspension, you know, yep. and and then pull back. It'll all work great in a car park. Mm-hmm. Doesn't, for me, it doesn't work on the trail. Okay. Yeah, and a sense. good way to think about it as well, like muddy, slippery conditions, low traction situations. If the only way you know how to do a wheelie involves stabbing the front brake, good luck to you. Yeah. Because it's not going to happen because you're going to be in slippery. Like if you're on mud or something like that, you're not even going to get much out of that. Not much of a weight transfer. No. And the front, it's good. The front's going to start to sledge. It's going to mess around on you. It's, it, you know, imagine a muddy day and the only way you know how to do a wheelie is to stab your front front brake. Like, yeah. Uh, no, no thanks. Not keen. <laughs> <laughs> so that's chapter one and two, basically what you were saying to begin with, that the throttle clutch, then the body movement uh, on yeah. the pegs, applying traction to that rear wheel. Yeah, a bit of safety thing here, stuff here as well. An important thing to remember here is we are only after that, that that clap of power. So motorbikes will not go over backwards with a clutch in. Can't happen. They will not roost off out of control across the paddock and crash into a tree with the clutch in. Um, you know, all those wonderful YouTube videos you see of guys getting left behind, whiskey throttling across the paddock, that doesn't happen with the clutch in. So your clutch comes out, your clutch comes straight back in again to control it. So it's that snap engagement and back again. Yeah. And that's a really important skill set to bring in. It's creating that that snap, that burst of power. And when we get familiar with that, you can use that in all sorts of situations on the trail. This is way more beneficial than just obstacle crossing and just trying to do wheelies. It's a really good skill builder. A lot of guys aren't familiar with using that clutch to create, create that snap of power. And that's how we create lift. That's how we unweight our bike. It's how we get the bike to be light on its tires. It's a real core move. And and that's another reason why you don't want to be yanking on the handlebars because that makes the whole clutch maneuver that much more difficult. Absolutely, yeah. At no point during this discussion did we talk about wrenching on the handlebars. Okay, so we're not pulling on the handlebars with this. Okay. That's the first part. We're going to skip the middle part now, and now we're going to go to the yeah. end. Okay. Yeah. to take a quick break while I tell you about a couple of things, but stick around because you're only really kind of minutes away from mastering a new skill. Stay with us. Well, when the temperature drops, let's face it, on a motorcycle, well, just about any time, your hands and feet are usually the first things to get cold, especially if you're eating up some miles and your feet are sitting out there and your foot pegs exposed to the wind and the rain and whatever else comes at you. But you know what it's like. Once your feet get cold, you know how difficult it is to get them warmed up again. Your hands, not so bad, but your feet, you can stop, you can warm them up, or you think you've got a little bit warm, shove them back in your boots, and next thing you know, they're cold again. And uncomfortable feet, well, just kind of ruins the ride and really shortens your enthusiasm for the day's fun. Now, I'll tell you what I've learned by spending my entire life really doing outdoors things and experimenting with all kinds of clothing and different things to try and stay warm and keep me out in in, in environments or in conditions in the environment that uh, you don't really want to be out in normally. Socks are very difficult to get that really keep your feet warm. And and I couldn't really find any that, that really blew me away. I mean, just sort of got used to dealing with that problem. That is until I got Pearly's possum socks sent to me. They seemed um, thick and fluffy, which they were, but um, man, are they warm. These are fantastic socks. They wick away moisture. They're made with possum fur and merino wool. And they've got a special blend there. And they're also made just for motorcyclists. These are designed for us motorcyclists. There's different sizes you can get. I like the really tall ones because they, they, they fill my boot completely. But when they get damp, 
They're still warm. They wick away moisture. They don't stink. You can ride in these things forever. Don't do it. They don't stink because of the materials they're made of, these natural fibers. Absolutely amazing socks. The, these are the best cold weather socks I have ever come across. I find them amazing. And when the, when the cold weather starts, I am using them all the time. I even wear them in my boots in the summertime. They wick away that moisture. So I find they work quite well in the summertime. That's, that's going to be up to you, of course. Pearly'sPossumSocks.com is a website. Drop by, have a look. Anytime you're dealing with them, throw in there that you heard them here on Adventure Rider Radio. Pearly'sPossumSocks.com. Oh, and by the way, I made them the official sock of Adventure Rider Radio. Not something we normally do, but I got so excited about them. And I'm thinking socks. I can't believe I'm so excited about socks. But anyway, the official sock. Pearly'sPossumSocks.com. Did you realize that larger foot pegs disperses your weight and actually makes you ride more comfortable? A wider peg also gives you more leverage when you're using your foot pegs to control your motorcycle, which we do a lot. But changing your foot peg can also change the relationship between your foot and your brake and your shifter, which is why you should get pegs that are specifically designed for the bike that you ride by people who know how to do it. IMS Products has been making parts for motorcycles since 1976. They know how to make foot pegs. And when they design any part, they put all those years of experience into producing that part. If you just look at the off-road racing circuit, you'll see how many riders, almost all the riders, seem to have IMS logos on their bikes. IMS Products makes a full line of adventure motorcycle foot pegs, all made of CAS-certified 17-4 stainless steel, all properly designed for the ergonomics of your motorcycle in particular, all built in the USA, and they all have a lifetime warranty. The website is imsproducts.com. Anytime you're dealing with them, throw in there that you heard them here on Adventure Rider Radio. imsproducts.com. RoadDogPub.com is your gateway to motorcycle adventure travel books. Road Dog Pub is the publisher of a slew of motorcycle travel books, including all kinds of well-known names that you already know. They've got new books coming out all the time, so, so bookmark that website, RoadDogPub.com. Now, mind you, you can get their books anywhere. At, at, most, at most, I would say, are all quality bookstores. They've got a new one coming out by... Um, Tom Router called The Tom Report. And it's about uh, two guys riding DR650s from Washington to Argentina and uh, all the the uh, misadventure they get into and the adventure they get into and the, all the people they meet up with on the journey. Another one they have coming out is Chasing Northern Lights by Miguel Oldenburg. He's a Venezuelan who now lives in the U.S., the story is about how he went about learning about his new home and the people uh, on a ride from New York to Alaska. And uh, I think that book is either coming out very soon or has just been published now. All Road Dog Pubs, as I said, are available at fine bookstores. You can contact the publisher directly by going to the website, rodogpub.com. And anytime you're dealing with them, throw in there, you heard them here on Adventure Rider Radio. Rodogpub.com. <laughs> No point during this discussion to be talk about wrenching on the handlebars. Okay, so we're not pulling on the handlebars with this. Okay, that's the first part. We're going to skip the middle part now, and now we're going to go to the yeah. end. Okay. Yeah. So the, the end part, the last chapter in our mixed up Pulp Fiction story, <laughs> is uh, we call it the hip thrust, and that's basically driving your hips right towards the back of the bike and pushing forwards with your hands. So not pulling up, but literally trying to push the bike forwards in front of you, driving your hands away from you as you push your hips back. And what that's doing is that's pushing the bike up over the obstacle, creating that forwards oof up and over it, and it helps to stop the forwards rotation. So a good way to describe this, how I try and describe it to my guys at the schools, is if you absolutely nail the whole rest of the technique, Driving your hips back and pulling your clutch in as you do that helps to land back wheel first, weight on your foot pegs, set up on your trail, ready to accelerate away, looking like a legend. If you kind of get it okay, you maybe the timing's not perfect. It's a bit, bit funky. Pushing your hips back like that, driving your hands forwards will stop the bike rotating too much and it'll stop you from landing too hard on the front wheel. You'll still be in control. You'll get away with it. If you completely kook it, if you absolutely destroy the technique, get it totally wrong, pushing your hips back will stop you going over the handlebars. So whether it's good, bad, or ugly, we get into that habit of driving your hips right back. 
So you could say so, the landing, you know, it's like obviously we, we we're probably not leaving the ground. Well, I guess we are. We really are, aren't we? We're going over. Yeah, really, yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay. Yeah. So this is the landing. Yeah, uh, it's no, it's what happens in the air as you're going over it. So this is the middle, Sorry. then. Well, you said we're this skipping is, the middle. No, um, <laughs> it's. It's it's the uh, it's the middle of the movement, I guess, but it's the it's not the middle of the technique. Okay, so this is the, the it's maybe the middle of our actual our crossing of the log, but this is the, yeah. the landing technique. This is the end technique. This is yeah. how you're going to finish it all off. Exactly. So, especially on an, an adventure bike, all the action, all the um, all the all the action, all the technique, actually, it happens in front of the log before the log, and you create this bursts of acceleration and this technique that kind of you're basically a passenger by the time your front tire gets to it mm-hmm. um all the action happens in front of it and we create that acceleration that momentum to carry us over it much safer than you're not wheel spinning off the log or looping out or anything stupid like that so in terms of the timeline of your bike going over the obstacle yeah you're right this is kind of the middle of it but in terms of what you're actually having to do the inputs you're giving it's the end it's the last thing you physically do when you're going across a log there and you, and you shove your, your, your hands forward and your butt back, your hips back, do you not chance getting a, a whack in the butt from the seat if it, you catch the log? Occasionally, yeah, you can do. Uh, a tap in the back's okay. A whack in the back's not so good. But the launch and the technique that we get uh, trying to create that correct rotation will we'll, uh, we'll, we'll fix that. The important thing for doing this on the ground first before an obstacle is that for a lot of guys it can be quite a different thing to do. They've never really done this, this pushing their hips all the way back and driving through their hands. So it's not going to be a natural reflex thing to do. So I, I'll admit I used to get this wrong because it's a really uh, ingrained movement for me. It's something my dad taught me when I was like eight or nine years old. I didn't bother to isolate this. And I was just saying to guys, okay, and now that you're up on top of the log, push your hips back to stop the front wheel coming down. And then I realized what I was doing was asking guys to do something they've never done before for the first time on the back wheel on top of a log. And I'm like, why are these guys not doing this? (laughs) (laughs) Why are they finding it so difficult? (laughs) Yeah, what's the problem here? So now, even though it feels a bit weird and a bit abstract, we uh, we practice it on the flat paddock first. So it's a learned, familiar movement. So as you're driving your hips back, your clutch is coming in with it to disconnect your drive. So hips push back. As your hips come back, your, your clutch finger follows your hips t- to create that the, 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 the rolling of the tire rather than the powering and the sliding of the tire. When your hips come all the way back, you're grabbing the bike with your knees, grabbing the bike with your hips, uh, sorry, with your ankles. So hips come back, arms come forwards, and then it's a grab with your lower body to keep yourself locked into it. Now, are, are you actually sort of shoving the bike forward? I mean, if we looked at it from a physics yeah. standpoint, that's, that's the motion you're trying to do, shove the bike forward. 100%. You feel this more on a mountain bike, don't you? Yeah, yeah, it, it does. It, it's a definitely, it's a mountain bike movement for sure. Mm-hmm. But it's also, it's a two-wheeled vehicle off-road movement. So, you know, I use it on my mountain bike, my trials bike, my enduro bike, and my adventure bike. Um, the real good thing with this is when you talked about before, when you've got those weird angled logs and you can't get quite square onto them, this is absolutely crucial for that. So can you just walk through again the timing on this? Right. So the important thing to remember at this stage, we're practicing the start and we're practicing the end. The timings of what we do in between depend on the technique. So like, like I talked about before, you know, in terms of enduro riding, there's many, many different techniques you can use. Uh, for adventure riding, to be honest, there's probably only really two that I use on a, on a regular basis. Um, the first one, is just riding into it with my good, strong body position. So when we do our riding stalls, we we teach two different standing positions. We have our good, correct, normal, relaxed, stable, strong body position. And uh, this is not actually what we call it because we're rude antipodeans. We call it the O-S-H-I, you got the rest, body position. And okay. this is the body position we use when things are going wrong, when the trail's aggressive, when it's ugly. The motocross guys call it the attack position. I don't like to call it the attack position because we're adventure riders. We're not trying to attack anything. We're just trying to go out and have a nice day on our bikes. 
but this more low triangle lockdown into it, more aggressive body position, that will actually allow you just to ride straight into a log about the same height as your axle without really doing very much. And that's uh, an exercise that we actually go through with the guys in the schools is trying to show them how important this correct standing position is and how it allows you to get away with this sort of stuff. So you're talking about a, a perpendicular log though, not an angle. Yeah, 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 yeah. Yeah. And basically the reason for doing that is we, we, we don't call it the, um, uh, log, a log crossing exercise. We call it the bump simulator. <laughs> so but I, I get the guys literally riding into a, a big a strainer fence post that I've got secured into the paddock. I'm like, just ride into it. Don't do anything other than use this correct body position that we teach. And the bike just goes straight over it. And it's no dramas whatsoever. Right. So as long so as you can, as long as you can find logs that are perpendicular, that straight across the trail, yeah, that's, yeah. that's you, that's the logs you should be crossing. The ones that are, that are straight across the trail. Yeah. And those are the ones that most bike instructors will set up because it makes you feel good about yourself. <laughs> <laughs> like you really learned something. Okay. So you, yeah, you're, you're going to yeah. walk, you're going to walk through it. Yeah. So I think for adventure riding, the most beneficial log crossing technique is what we call the single blip technique. So if you go onto YouTube and look for log crossing techniques, a lot of guys will talk about the double blip technique, which is it comes from trials and it's really, really beneficial for trials bikes. Works pretty good on enduro bikes, but for adventure bikes, we don't really need it. And it kind of, it's really hard to do and it kind of sucks. I would imagine in an adventure bike ride, I've never actually used it. I can do it on my adventure bike. What I use it for is finding stuff to use it for. So I say that because I have a lot of guys coming to schools that have watched a lot of YouTube videos and they're all about this double blip. I'm like, ah, dude, you just don't need that on an adventure bike. The single blip, half as many blips, half the job, a lot easier to, to learn and way more reliable. So that, that's the technique that we'll go for. The double blip as in instead of just doing one clutch out, you're doing two. Yeah, and there's a lot going on. It's it's quite an advanced, difficult maneuver. And basically, you don't need it for anything. Uh, sorry, you don't need it until the obstacle's basically the height of your front wheel or if it's elevated or undercut. So that's not what guys are doing on a fully loaded adventure bike, right? Mm-hmm. That's, that's not the market here. Sure. Um, so if you're single blip, it'll work really good on anything up to sort of like that sort of two-thirds the height of your front wheel. That's a pretty freaking big obstacle on an adventure bike. Mm-hmm. Um, so it's a really good go-to uh, technique for this. So the key here, again, is to remember we're after acceleration, not speed here. The more speed we have, the bit, the harder we crunch into it, the more it's going to kick you forwards, rotate you forwards. So the bigger the obstacle, the bigger your log, the slower you need to be going in front of it to create that potential for acceleration without having too much speed. So if you think of like your World Trials Championship guys, you know, those guys that do incredible things on the bikes with no seats. Yeah. If you gave them like a two-meter rock step, an infinite run-up, all the run-up in the world, they would still just about stop in front of that obstacle and then launch it up that obstacle onto it with virtually from a standstill. It's not to be clever. It's the only way to do it. So the bigger the obstacle, the slower you need to be going in front of it to create that potential for acceleration. The acceleration creates the lift without having too much resulting speed. Cool. Got it. Now, you, know, you were, you were going to go through the timing. So just, just, um, yep. just go through that timing then. Yeah. So the, for the single blip, what we're trying to do is lift the front tire to tap the front tire into the obstacle about two-thirds of the height, two, sorry, two-thirds of the way up the log. We're not trying to wheelie and clear the front end. We're trying to use that front wheel hitting into the obstacle to help generate further lift to send the bike up and over. Essentially what it does is it turns an impact, a forwards impact, into a ramp. It it ramps the front end of the bike up, clears your bash plate, and makes it significantly easier to clear the obstacle. Mm. So using the front wheel rather than just trying to wheelie over, it's a really, really important thing. It changes the, the, the trajectory of the bike too, doesn't it? It, it yeah. sort of continues to rotate it upwards rather than letting it coming up, standing up, and then hitting the back and slamming the front down. Is that right? Yeah, but the, the effect I I find it gives it, it basically it's, it seems to like almost turn it into a ramp and you can kind of gently jump over the rest of the obstacle rather than crashing down into it. Right, rather than bashing um, that back wheel into it. That's what I mean, it's, it's slamming the front yeah. down. Yeah, 
Right. And it really, it really important for a lot of adventure bikes. Uh, it clears the sump. It clears the bottom of the engines. There's no chance of just coming smashing down onto it, oh, right, which yeah. can be really, really damaging, you know. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, we're trying to connect that front tyre. So really important here. We're trying to connect that front tyre, but we also want a lot of acceleration. So we have to make sure we we time it and we start that wheelie nice and close to the obstacle. A good rule of thumb for that is the height of the obstacle, start your wheelie that far back. So if we project the height of the obstacle back, that's about the point where you want to start launching the bike from lifting that front wheel. Oh, I like that. So it's like a foot, a foot tall, you're only starting at a foot back. Yeah, because I want okay. that snap of acceleration, but I don't want to be going too fast. A good way to describe that is uncomfortably, awkwardly close to the obstacle. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Most people would much rather start way further back, but then all that acceleration is going to turn into speed. And by the time you get to that obstacle, oh my gosh, we're going way too fast. Boom, here we go. You're on, on for a ride. Right. Cool. So... Yeah, the height of the obstacle, that far back, and aiming to punch that front tyre about two-thirds of the way up the obstacle. So we punch that front tyre into it, and we continue to accelerate right to the point where the back tyre hits. As soon as that back tyre hits the obstacle, that's where our last chapter comes into play, which is pushing the hips back whilst pulling that clutch in. So you're pulling your clutch in to kill your power. What we don't want is to too much power onto the log and then the tire is going to spin on the log and that's when it's going to send you sideways. Right. And that's particularly obvious when the, when the log is at an angle. Exactly. Yeah. You're onto it. So as soon as that back tire hits, that's our signal to kill the power through the clutch and push the bike up and over by driving your hips forwards in that previously practiced technique. Yeah. That's why I was, um, I was asking you to walk through the timing because the way you described that the first step was to do the throttle blip with the clutch dump and pull back in. And then you said about pulling the clutch back in at the end. And and I wanted to make it clear that that's a different maneuver, that we've already done the yeah, one, we've, right. bl- we've blipped the clutch and then we've let the clutch out again, cross the log. Once the rear tire gets up onto the log, we pulled the clutch in as the, yeah. the rear tire is rolling over the log. That That's what I was doing. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, that makes sense. Yep. So it's a so it's a different maneuver, so or a different part of the, of the maneuver there. Yeah, yeah. And that that all makes perfect sense. What you're saying, and I love the way you you break it down. It really makes it so that you you can get your head around what you're talking about. We talked about the logs being at different angles. Do you approach them differently? Do you approach a log that's on an angle differently than you do if, if it was um, straight across the the um, the trail or sort of degrees of angle? Yeah, definitely. So when the logs are at an angle, it is, uh, it's a, a much greater challenge. And I'm still trying to utilize the same technique, but I double down on my efforts. So I try to compress my suspension even harder than I was before. I need to create maximum lift. So I hit that obstacle as lightly as possible. And the real key thing is as soon as that back tire touches, the clutch has got to come in. So your bike's going to go sideways when there's a difference between ground speed and wheel speed. So as we know, if we're just riding down a paddock or down a grassy field, we pull our clutch in and stomp on our back brake and lock the back wheel, the bike starts to go sideways. It starts to flap around the place. Ground speed and wheel speed is different. Bike goes sideways. Um, when we give it a great big handful, really aggressive acceleration, lots of wheel spin, bike goes sideways. If we have no wheel spin, it's really, really hard for a tire to go sideways. So in this situation when we've got a weird angled log, it's super important that we grab that clutch and kill all the power to that back tire so the tire's going to roll over that log. Any power on it at an angle, poof, see you later. Thanks for coming. Mm-hmm. So the key here is all the action, all the momentum, all the accelerations created on the ground in front of the obstacle and you're rolling up and over it using the right technique, but basically a passenger on that momentum that you've created. So when we teach this, we'll tell the guys that the goal is to keep the bark on the log. There should be a good, you know, skid mark, roost mark sort of thing. The ground in front of the log as you're practicing it should, should get ripped up a bit from the acceleration, but the bark should stay on the log if we're doing it right. If you're tearing the bark off, even if you're practicing it straight on, you're doing it wrong. Mm, yeah, I like that. Okay. Are, are there some other things, some other um, 
techniques that you can give us or things to aim for, aim for the V, for instance? Yeah. So, yeah, if there's little little notch, uh, tree branches, notches coming, anything, anything that's going to wedge your tires will make life a lot easier. Um, the other thing I'm looking for in this scenario when we've got a weird angled log is something to help kick my tires up off the ground and, again, reduce that impact. So it could be a, 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 a fortuitously placed lo- uh, rock, a little bit of a tree stump, a tree root, something that's going to kick the tire up and make the bike lighter and it minimize that impact into the log. Re- the other thing I'm really doing is doubling down on my efforts to push my hips back and push the bike up and over it, create that forward shove through my hands so, again, I don't have to go anywhere near that power. The uh, the only thing that you didn't talk about was how you practice that shoving the bike. And I mean, I guess it seems obvious, but how do you yeah, tell you, people? Uh, so it's going to feel a bit weird, but the way to practice it is just riding around the place practicing it. So just cruising along, again, sort of walking speed, and it's fast enough that you're not having to worry about your balance, jogging speed maybe, and then driving through your hands, pushing the bars forwards and pulling that clutch in as your hips come back grabbing it with the with your knees, grabbing it with your ankles into that sort of, oh, I've got you, grab the bike position. People people will look at you like you're weird. Uh, it's, it's an odd thing to do and it feels a bit weird, but it's very, very beneficial thing to practice and to have as a familiar learned movement that you're then taking into a scary situation or a, a challenging situation rather than trying to figure out an unlearned movement in a challenging situation. It wouldn't quite feel the same though, would it? it? Like it feels different when you're going over the log. There's a lightness Absolutely. that you feel that, that when you go Absolutely. over Absolutely. But you, what you're trying to do is create that muscle memory, that feeling of, okay, hips, go back to here in that way that we practice into a familiar position and a familiar movement. Yes, it will feel different, but the movement, the actual, the, the, uh, the muscle movement, the body movement is a learnt familiar technique. What are the limits for for an adventure bike when it comes to logs? Do you think it's more it's more the rider than the bike? I see. Um, yeah, that's almost. I mean, and that's that's the cool thing with riding motorbikes off road. You know, there are no limits. The limits are how good you are, how much effort you want to put into it. How I mean, some guy could go and spend the next three years learning how to ride the biggest logs ever on a on an adventure bike and that would then be the limit. <laughs> <laughs> okay. So you're limited. The, the bike Sorry. though, like, like um, with cast rims or anything like that, there's no limits in that sort of thing that that's not holding us back from this. And not I'm not just talking so just much, cast like, rims. Yeah. Yeah. So uh, honestly, no, but definitely like adventure bikes are not the easiest things to jump logs on. And you know, if you've got access to an enduro bike or a, a light trail bike, it can be really worthwhile practicing these movements um, and getting them familiar with the with the lighter bike, but no, there is no real limitations on what can be done on on the adventure bikes. Obviously, the the bikes with the smaller wheels, so like the the nineteen inch front wheels, they're harder to get over a bigger obstacle because again, like a good rule of thumb is you know that the height of that axle, smaller front wheel, the axle's lower, so the smaller wheel smaller wheel bikes are more challenging in this situation. The, I don't know why, but for some reason I find the smaller wheeled bikes more challenging to wheelie and to lift the front wheel on as well. Um, but it doesn't mean it's impossible. Uh, they're still perfectly capable of crossing reasonable size obstacles. And yeah, the, the limit is how much time and energy and effort you wanted to put into absolutely perfecting your timing, your movements and your technique. How much time do you think it takes the average rider to learn the technique, the whole thing? Oof. Who is your average rider? Yeah. Um, <laughs> Everybody yeah, that, wants to a, know this. Everybody imagines themselves as the average rider. That's what I think I am. I think I'm the average rider. I don't know. Uh, I would imagine from the amount of people you've talked to, the amount of information you've gathered, if half of what you've talked about sunk in, you're probably well above average. <laughs> <laughs> but, but I mean, so when you're teaching somebody, let's, let's go to that. When, you, when you're doing a class, how successful, what percentage of the class learns to do this? So as long as the body and mind is willing and able, you know, uh, if they're confident, they have control of their body, they're fit enough to be able to stick with the practice, I'm fairly confident I can teach anyone how to do this in a day. 
Nice. Okay. That's good to hear. Okay. So can you walk through it one more time, just a a quick um, overview, a recap rather for us? Absolutely. So the key thing is get that compression, that wheelie lift going. So get that really, really good. So the important thing to remember is as we're practicing this technique, we're practicing clutch control, throttle control, balance, compression, timing, all those key fundamental skills. So even if you can't do a wheelie, don't try not to get too pissed off with it. You're putting a whole bunch of background skills into place and training a lot of connections, uh, a lot of body movement, really, really core fundamental skill. Um, one of the uh, This is one of the skills that we go through when I do training with the New Zealand Special Forces guys. This is a key fundamental skill. Clutch control, throttle control, balance, timing. And one of their pass or fails for these Special Forces guys is how many wheelies they can do in 50 metres. Because that's how we measure their clutch control, their throttle control, their balance, their timing, all that sort of stuff. So get that really, really good. Spend a lot of time on that. That's only going to make everything else easier. Get that hips back movement familiar. And then from there, you can... once you get those fundamental skills in place, it'll be a lot easier and a lot safer to actually start to attack the bigger uh, any of the obstacles. So get those fundamentals in place, get them familiar, get them boring is a good way to think about it. And then you can start bringing it into your, into your obstacles. Start off with hitting them square. It's a lot safer. It's a lot easier, yes, but it's also a lot safer. It's going to be much more forgiving of, of not quite getting your timing right. Once that obstacle is easy and familiar and no longer a challenge you can go to bigger ones if you want to or you can start looking at bringing in the angles which is the more real world trail situation right so starting off small going bigger then maybe throw some mud in there then throw in a, a ravine on one side so if you slip you, you know you fall down the ravine all those things to help add to the excitement yep Peer pressure, nettles, coyotes. <laughs> yeah, I don't know. Exactly. <laughs> yeah, Anything else someone to... holding a ca- someone holding a camera. That's that adds, oh, adds that's another level. Worst. That's the worst. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Well, that that's great. I mean, you've made it sound simple. Now it's a matter of just getting out there and, and seeing if it's as, as simple if it can be done in a day. You teach people while you're standing there and helping them, but you also have a video out that we can put a link to because um, because you have um your video series that you sell through Vimeo. Can you talk about that? Yeah, so we have two series. We have our, our they both come under the category of our Say No to Slow series. So we have an adventure bike one, which is focusing on, on adventure bike riding, adventure bike techniques. And then we also have our, our enduro one, which is more focused on the uh, the trail bikes, the enduro bikes. Having said that, on the uh, enduro one, we do go a lot deeper into the obstacle crossing side of things. We have a lot of slow motion footage um really sort of trying to talk about the key points so if log crossing on your adventure bike is what you're into um, by all means check out the adventure series but it'd be worth having a deeper dive into the enduro bike series and and the techniques there is that the new one the enduro one yeah and we've just started working on the follow-up uh, for the adventure bike series as well as uh, the second adventure bike ones so that, that'll be a wee way off but uh, they're all available at say no to slow dot nz all right fantastic we'll put that link in the show notes chris thanks very much and now now you've got to go pack for that trip yeah should be a good one hopefully not too many logs though it sounds really hard <laughs> thanks a lot no worries I was speaking with Chris Birch from his home in New Zealand. His website is chrisbirch.co.nz, the NZ, obviously, for New Zealand. We've got some photos depicting some of what we've discussed today with Chris. We also have the link to his video series that he sells through Vimeo. I've got the uh, Adventure Bike series, by the way. I think it's very well done. So um, you can find all that in the show notes for this episode on our website at adventureriderradio.com.
Hey, I just want to remind you that this episode has been brought to you by Green Chili Adventure Gear, greenchiliadv.com, Motobreeze Chain Oiler at motobreeze.com, and Best Rest Products at cyclepump.com. And we'd really appreciate it anytime you're dealing with these companies, anytime, email or otherwise, let them know you heard them here on Adventure Rider Radio. Well, that about wraps up another episode of Adventure Rider Radio, and we sure hope you enjoyed listening to it as much as we did making it. Special thanks to our producer, Elizabeth Martin, and of course, you, the listener, thank you very much for being a part of this. Hey, if you got something out of this and you think that um, maybe you, you like the way that we do things, we'd really appreciate it if you'd share it with your friends or or maybe even on social media. Let other people know about it. Another thing you could do is you could give us a five-star rating on iTunes or wherever you find your podcast. That helps other people find the show, and we'd really appreciate that. If you're not doing it already, the show is built on a model of advertising and listener support. We need your your support. Drop by our website. When you're looking at the show notes, click on the support button. You'll see that we've got some Adventure Rider Radio stickers we we send out. Anything $10 or more gets you that. Anything $50 or more gets you a shout out on our Raw show, which is our other show that we do once a month. And um, we would love to get you onto our patron support team. That way we can count on each month. Just drop by and have a look. That's all I'm asking. Anyway, time to get out there and ride your bike if you can. My name is Jim Martin. Thank you very much for listening. I'll talk to you next week. Hi, this is Charlie Borman, and you're listening to Adventure Rider Radio.